Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When there's two sides to every coin, then there's a conversation you can join. But I'm an old dog and there's new tricks And some of my opinions you just can't fix Cause I'm an old man yelling at the sky I'ma shake my fist at the clouds and cry Get up my lawn, you snowflake Before I have a meltdown, breakdown, shakedown Cause this is my hometown, so back down Sports clown, it's all just a game Happy Monday, kids. Uh, I hope you're all doing well. Uh, welcome to Just a Game. I would be me and you, as I've known for a long time, know who you are. So we really don't need to do introductions, but I am glad to see you. I'm glad you could spend some time with us today. Uh, hockey heavy show. Hockey heavy show. Uh, maybe haven't done enough of these lately, uh, but here we are. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, Matt Larkin from the Daily Faceoff, longtime uh, hockey reporter, is going to join us. Uh, we'll catch up with Matt. Lots to talk about, including kind of quiet. I think it's kind of quietly. Uh, the NHLPA has a new boss, uh, certainly much quieter than the previous incarnations of change with the NHLPA. We'll talk to Matt about that along with some other things. It is a Monday. That means uh, Ryan Pike joins us uh, to talk about the Flames. Of course, the managing editor of uh, Flames Nation. Uh, We will start with the Flames today. We will be getting into a uh, rather nuanced conversation with Mr. Pike about a very busy weekend in uh, in wrestling, in pro wrestling, of course, coming off of WrestleMania weekend. And uh, we did get some feedback on the old social media machines yesterday wanting to hear reactions. So I, I will get into that in a little while. Um, just an incredible weekend uh, from a, a financial standpoint. Something else we will get into this weekend. Uh, one of the other conversations we're going to have today and, and on Thursday, note, 
Uh, we are on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday this week. Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. No show Friday. Uh, because we certainly want uh, everybody to have the opportunity and the option to uh, to take a day off, and um, you know uh, whatever your Easter preparations are, your Eastern uh, Easter uh, celebrations are, we certainly want to uh, you know allow our staff to do the same thing. However, we will do a show on on Thursday, which is going to tie back to part of the conversation with Ryan Pike today. JD Lewis, yes, that JD from CJ is going to join us. Uh, f- Right before we even launched this program, I said to him, you know, you're going to be our uh, UFC insider. And he, he took great pleasure in, and glee in that. So JD's going to join us on Thursday uh, as well. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the UFC uh, coming back to Calgary, it sounds like, in June. Um, as well, this gigantic $21.8 billion merger that was announced today, uh, Endeavor, who owns the UFC, will own 51% of this newly formed company, and Vincent K. McMahon and the shareholders, stockholders of the WWE will own 49% and a bazillion years old. Uh, Do we have a current picture of Vince McMahon, uh, who is now morphed into a a cartoon character? Um, Which one's real, folks? I, I defy you to pick. Uh, however, uh, Vince, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, as, as some like to call him, uh, is apparently going to stay on in a rather large role. We'll get into that with Ryan later on. Uh, I think first and foremost, we should start with the local hockey heroes. <laughs> but before we do that, just a reminder, uh, we are broadcasting live from Treaty 7 territory. And of course, this is an ins- inclusive program. Uh, everybody is welcome. Uh, we might even have a little bit more on that later on in the week. Um, but as we do that, we turn our attention to the uh, local hockey heroes who last night, um, <clears throat> I don't know what it is about this club, um, but it does seem to make life difficult on itself at times. I, I think when we dissect and, and look back at this entire season, regardless of what the outcome is, the uh, numbers still aren't in their favor, but they're two points back of Winnipeg as we have this little conversation, it could be worse. Um, But I think, you know, being two points back of Winnipeg, being three points back of Seattle, being even, uh, you know, now 12 points back of Edmonton and, and 13 back of Vegas, a lot of what we saw last night wasn't fixed in game in previous attempts last night, they were able to fix it in game Uh, Anaheim playing the night before in Edmonton, do not get the benefit of uh, an on par start. It was an eight o'clock start on Saturday night. They're playing six o'clock in Calgary, not a long flight time, but from what I understand, didn't get until late without their number one goalie with nothing to play for yet. They remained a handful. And after 20 minutes of play, the Calgary flames found themselves down by two. Well, uh, peeled the paint, whatever you want to say about the conversation that was uh, had in between the first and second. It resulted in a new goaltender and apparently a new attitude as the Flames jumped out and scored three quick ones on Anaheim and looked like, okay, well, we've seen this before. They'll just nurse this home. Well, they didn't. They gave up two quick ones to Anaheim and trailed going into the third period, which up until Friday night had been kind of a desert for them. They had had failed to come back in a third period all season long. The only team in the National Hockey League not to do not not to be able to come back and win a game after starting the third period behind. Well, they had to do it again on Sunday. They do it again thanks to two 
fairly unlikely heroes, I would suggest. Um, in, in Milan Lucic, who, who tied the game, and then Michael Stone, who hadn't played in 20-plus, uh, just uh, doing what he does, which is unloads from the, uh, from the blue line. Um, I, I, again, uh, and it's not to try and pop anybody's balloon or take away any enthusiasm. The fact of the matter that this team was 6.7 points back is still two points back, still technically in the race. Based on some of the performances a month ago, minor miracle. Just a minor miracle. The fact that there's open hostility, open wound, open complaining, open everything's open about the culture and the makeup of this team right now. Uh, it's It's been all out in the open. The, the, the players and the coach apparently not on the same page. I uh, haven't been most of the year. Uh, that I think is very evident in their play. All of these things. And they find a way to win the game. They're fourth in a row. Um, they, they didn't look, you know, better team on Friday, sure. Better team last night, sure. But had to go to overtime and had to win it with about three minutes left last night. Uh, it's not that long ago that they had a big win in Dallas. I mean, they played big teams this year and have had good performances. And, you know, I think back to that Boston game, uh, there's lots of, you know, games in which this team has stood in there with heavyweights and punched hard. Uh, maybe haven't got the results, but punched hard. But they continue to struggle with the, the teams that they're trailing. So tomorrow it's Chicago. Wednesday it's Winnipeg. Um, I You know, you can't look too much past. Back into Vancouver, at home against the Preds, at home against the Sharks. Uh, one game definitely pops on, on that Um schedule and that's the one coming up on Wednesday uh, against the Jets. Um, Winnipeg who couldn't beat the little sisters of the poor a week ago uh, dismantled one of the better teams in the east. Yes Jersey played the night before I believe in Chicago but dismantled them nonetheless uh, have looked much better look like they have their proverbial crap together. Um, Don't look past Chicago you did that once this year and it cost you um, I, I'm kind of expecting the, the Flames to kind of bowl over Chicago tomorrow. I, I think I should expect that. Um, but as we know, there are no guarantees in life. Eighth time this season that uh, Jacob Markstrom has allowed a goal in the first shot. Um, it's been a while. I, I would say his improved play uh, in the last three or four weeks, I, I don't think we've, you know, we had a, a bad string of, of first shot goals there uh it's been a while um don't necessarily pin this on him uh i think when you talk about pulling a goaltender you do it for one of two reasons more often than not you pull a goaltender uh because you you need to you know change the momentum in a game uh and or pardon me his play needs to be just not good enough sorry the that's the more common one less often you change it to try and create momentum. And I think that's what Daryl Sutter did last night. I don't think Dan Vladar stood on his head, but certainly it worked early in the second period. Uh, Vladar was good enough to close it the rest of the way. I think you got to give Markstrom the Wednesday game. I would go back with Vladar tomorrow, but, you know, guessing what Daryl's going to do and what he will do are, are kind of a fool's errand. Um, a couple notes from this game for me. Uh, Troy Stetcher, a deadline acquisition uh, from the uh, from the Coyotes has gotten better and better and better. Yes, uh, you got Stone back. Michael Stone was back in yesterday. Um, 
Chris Tanev, I understand, is skating. We'll get more from Ryan Pike on that in a little while. Um, but, man, uh, Troy Stetcher, I guess we were all caught up in the Richie for Richie part of that deal. Uh, Connor Mackey kind of left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth because here's another kid that the Flames found, signed, developed, and, and then just let him sit on the, you know, up in the press box and kind of wasted a whole year with him. But Troy Stetcher's come in. He's, he's not necessarily an offensive guy or hasn't been rec- uh, in the last couple of seasons, has now found that part of his game was, was critical last night, um, has really helped this team uh, at the back end. Um, there's a lot of decisions that need to be made going forward. And, and I don't even know if, if Troy Stetcher wants to stay here, but this is one of those picks um, – you know, like Forbert a couple years ago or Yoki Paka, um, these extra defensemen that have been pick, picked up and they're like, ah, yeah, yeah uh, I guess, you know, Gustafson. Troy Stetcher of all of them, I think has been the one that has probably impressed me the most. But uh, again, there's lots and lots and lots to do before you get to that point. Um, seventh multi-goal comeback this year. So here's the, <laughs> I wrote this down. So up until Friday, you had not come back from a third-period deficit. And yet, you're trailing only two teams who have uh, come back eight times this year from multi-goal deficits. Flames trailing 2 nothing last night, multi-goal deficit, come back and win for the seventh time this year. Ah, the yin and the yang of which the Calgary Flames are. Uh, we will get into that a little later on with Ryan Pike. Uh, right now, though, uh, we are very pleased uh, to welcome in a new guest, brought to you by our good friends at Ski Cellar Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary, four locations, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, just off 14th Street, Bow Ridge Road Northwest by McDonald's at the bottom of Windsport and at Windsport at the Frank King Day Lodge. Uh, not just skis and snowboards, what you need to keep you warm and dry, hey, listen, it's spring, but if you guys saw any of the weather yesterday in Kananaskis in the mountains, they're still getting snow, check them out. Head on in or online, skisellersnowboard.com. Uh, pleasure for us to welcome a new friend and a new guest to the program. He's part of the family, though, from Daily Faceoff. Matt Larkin, kind enough to join us today. Mr. Larkin, how do we find you on this fine Monday? Oh, Rob, it's a pleasure to come on. And you find me playing hurt. That's hurt! That's the stretch, stretch run. I'm a bit under the weather. I've got the lozenge in to make sure I sound nice and crystal clear for you. Okay. So I'm going to grind it out. It's what you do. It's what the Flames are doing right now. Well, you find a way, right? You just find a way. You, you, and I appreciate the lozenge. Uh, we should all have a good lozenge on a Monday after this kind of weekend. Um Hey, listen, you, I think you were uh, the mastermind behind, behind power rankings on DFO, so I may as well start there with you. Uh, the, the Flames, here we are. I can go back through my book. I can tell you every Monday for the last month and a half, we've started six, seven, four, two, two, six, seven, two, back. They're two points back, uh, five games to go, the big one Wednesday against Winnipeg. Uh, but they're not alone in all of this. I mean, there's some interesting last-minute races across the league, isn't there? Absolutely. But it's interesting. To me, it's going to come down to those three teams that are jockeying right now. Whether yeah. it's Calgary, Winnipeg, you have Nashville kind of hanging around, even though they were supposed to be a seller team. They're finding a way to stay competitive. But to me, that is the race I'm watching the closest at the moment. And I'm just intrigued by the Flames as this team that if they can get in, are they suddenly that seed that you don't want to play that's supposedly the 
easy opponent in round one. It's almost the opposite of last year when I had really high expectations for them. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, they go from a couple weeks ago looking like their season's over to maybe backing into the playoffs. And do you get that magic postseason run in net from a Jacob Markstrom, the opposite of last year where his game just imploded? It kind of feels like opposite land right now in Calgary. And I do wonder if it's just a matter of all the new pieces that Brad Living brought in. Did they need to gel? especially Mackenzie Weaker. That's the guy I'm looking at the most mm-hmm. that seems to have found his groove. I think he's got 11, 11 points in 15 games, I think, in March. Yeah. Suddenly the offensive part of his game came back. I'm starting to wonder now, did Daryl Sutter get this room back after it seemed like he lost it? it here's what – I'll give you my observation on it, Matt. I think because it's – this roster, particularly the way it's constructed, taking Pelche out, leaving Walker Dewar in, is a veteran – heavy lineup and I'm pretty sure that men came to men and we all had an agreement screw it whatever the you know the whatever our arguments whatever our issues are let's just try and get across the line that's what it feels like to me is because it it's been reported by almost everybody I mean Frank's reported it Elliot's reported it Chris Johnson's reported it. you've been on it there's no doubt that there's a rift in that locker room but they seem to have healed it they're now up to four games in a row you know, winning, which is a season high, uh, this team has underperformed so badly that if they get in, all they can do is play it up to their potential to me. I mean, uh, I've seen them against Vegas. I've, we've seen them against Boston. We've seen them have these really good games against heavyweights. It's the Anaheims. It's, you know, it's the Phoenixes. It's all of these Chicago losses that are the difference between them battling Winnipeg and battling Edmonton and Los Angeles right now. That's right. And, and when you think about Daryl Sutter, yeah. it's sort of a, a matter about, it's a matter of buying. If you look at the history of his teams, especially in the analytics, absolutely. Era, they're always absolutely dominant in terms of tilting the ice, driving the play, sound defensively. They're not the most fun teams to play <laughs> on. I think a player like Jonathan Ubido, who's super creative, was in a really high octane offense last year. That's a big adjustment for him. But it's hard to deny that the style does work. If you look since Sutter came in a couple of years ago, yeah. Flames obviously have been a different team. And it might not be fun to play, but it does work. The problem is, and I've said this many times in the past few weeks, historically, there's a certain type of coach archetype. The taskmaster mm-hmm. always has a shelf life, whether it's Mike Keenan, whether it's John Tortorella, Daryl Sutter. That type of coach is effective for a finite period of time. And typically, when you lose the room, it's over. And that's what I thought was happening a couple of weeks ago. And now all of a sudden they're getting this late surge. Maybe once they're in, you do have a coach with a couple Stanley Cup rings and maybe yeah. he can help shepherd that group to an upset or two. You know, I read that uh, and I the, I, I want to kind of touch on that coach. I, not a counter to that, but I wonder a little bit more now if the hard-ass coach hasn't been replaced by a, a good, I mean, John Cooper's been in Tampa for 10 years, right? Like Daryl Sutter tomorrow will hit 300 games as a, a, a head coach behind the bench for the Calgary Flames. Twice that's happened. Like, you know, Badger Bob and, and Daryl, they're the only two. And you think about that for a club that's been here since 1980, that's insane. Yet Cooper's been in Tampa for 20 years. I wonder if the, the new approach for hard assism is your leadership group. That the coach not or the the coach lets that stuff fall to the leaders that the uh, you know you know that the headmans and the stampcoses those are the guys that hold the players accountable those are the guys that set the rules those are the guys that enforce the rules I wonder if that isn't how we move forward that you know kind of the day of a, a 
you know, a, a dictator, dictatorial type, hard ass coach might be past us. You could be right. And look no further than the unemployment line where you still see Mike Babcock. You wonder if he's ever going to get another chance. Right. His style, right, known to be pitting players against each other, emotionally manipulating players. It has kind of gone the way of the dodo. And John Cooper, I think, is a prime example because he's everything that goes against the sort of hard-ass coach archetype. He comes from the legal background. He's sort of a slick, silver-tongued character. And I do think you have to give credit to ownership in Tampa Bay, Jeff Vinnick. They were willing to just think differently and give a long runway to a different type of thinker. And I think you're bang on. I think Cooper, he's really good with the media. He's sort of an outside-the-box thinker, but he understands he has those pillars in place that have been there since they were drafted, right? Stamp goes all the way back to 08, Victor Hedman all the way back to 09. And you just have so much power over the room when you're those guys. Exactly. They're not passive leaders. Right, they're they're in your face. They're aggressive leaders. Um, speaking of in your face and aggressive leaders, uh, the impetus for the call out last week was the column that you wrote on the new head of the NHLPA. And I, you know, having lived through oh four oh five and and good now and Saskin and and then you know uh, you know everything always seemed to be loud and crazy and, and confusing. This one just kind of slipped under the radar. I thought, as far as NHLPA news. You know, we knew it was happening. I don't want to say nobody knew, but Marty Walsh taking over the NHLPA. This seems like the quietest changeover of command that we've seen with that position maybe ever. Which is ironic because you think someone leaving Joe Biden's cabinet to take over right. an NHL job, it's, it couldn't be more of a high-profile hire. You could argue that in terms of just overall attention and scrutiny, it's a step down for Marty Walsh, what he's done here. Right. And to me, what makes it an interesting hire is... We're trying to see if we're going to find a labor leader. Not we, but you know the players are looking for a labor leader that can dig in his heels. And if you look at the way each lockout has gone, I don't think anyone would say the players have won any of these collective bargaining negotiations. The owners always end up going out on top. And it's interesting when you hear Marty Walsh speak, he seems like a very kind of warm and friendly presence. He talked about being a Boston Bruins fan, having Bobby Orr visit him in the hospital when he had cancer as a kid. Yep. He's got a real connection to the game. But he did talk a lot about his unionism and being born into it for his entire life and his father being a laborer. And that's pretty much been his entire political career. He bleeds it. So it makes you wonder, is he going to be more of a fighter for the players willing to push back more than previous leaders? It's hard to say, because on the other hand, if you look at his history, and I'm not super well versed in U.S. politics, but what I do know is that he has never been the leader of a work stoppage. He's been the guy who has brought voices back to the table. Mm-hmm. He helped end a nursing strike in 2021. He stepped in to help with the MLB lockout, offering his expertise to help end that lockout. So he's sort of a contradictory figure. You have someone who claims to bleed unionism, but he doesn't seem like he's an overly combative leader. So I really don't know what it's going to mean. It's a wild card trying to predict what his tenure is going to be like. Matt, do we have any sense, I mean, with Donald Fear stepping aside, I believe that also means the brother leaves too. And I go back to Saskin and Goodnow. It was almost the fight for the jobs behind the leader that were the the most dramatic. Do we have any sense of how Marty Walsh is going to organize the NHLPA office? Not yet. That was something that came up. And there were a lot of topics that he sort of had to defer and say, sure. listen, I'm still relatively new in the job. I don't know how the organizational organizational structure is going to look. That sounds like it's something that was on his list more for the summer in terms of how the org chart could change. I think it, you could tell which of the hot button topics he was studied on or mm-hmm. had been briefed on and was preparing to address in the short term. He understands that he's going to have to decide if the players are going to want to push back, for example, 
on raising the salary cap because Gary Bettman implied a couple weeks ago, hey, yeah. it's going to go up by a million dollars, but we're willing to have a discussion. The problem is when Gary Bettman says that, that's him setting the little bear trap, yep. wondering if the players are going to wander in and he's going to ask for a concession on something else. So that was one telling moment. It actually happened to be my question during the presser. And I did notice that Marty Walsh, he answered it and said he's willing to discuss it. And then he paused and then he jumped back in and said, but we don't want to make any changes to escrow right now. So that was the first little hint that he might be willing to dig in and not be manipulated by Gary Bettman. Uh, but it does sound like if we're just looking at all the different issues that came up, whether it was the World Cup, Olympics, and so mm-hmm. on, it's still a real feeling out period for for Marty Walsh. And it seems like he is a leader that cares about humanizing issues. So he's said he'd been spending a lot of his time just communicating directly with players, trying to get to know them. He mentioned players' families a lot. Yeah. And he mentioned meeting with Glenn Healy, the head of the Alumni Association, talking a lot about mental health. We've seen Spencer Knight and Jakob Vrana carry Price last year, yep. players entering the player assistance program. And Marty Walsh did express concern over life after hockey. So that seems like an issue he's already on top of. But a lot of the other hot button ones, it's kind of a wait and see for him. Well, I'm glad you mentioned, actually, I'm glad you mentioned it all. So I might go in, in kind of a, a scattershot here. But you, I'm glad you mentioned Batman. I like Gary. I've known Gary for a while. Always a great interview for me. I, he is what he is. He's the owner's commissioner. That's that's what he is. Um, and and I, I agree with you. I think he already was, you know, he knows he's got a new adversary. I don't want to say opponent, but a new adversary. I, I, I'm very curious to see how the commissioner goes about welcoming Marty into the hockey world. Yes, me too. And it's funny, when I was at the presser, I was sort of wondering if the NHL itself was going to have a presence there. And it mm-hmm. didn't. Everyone mm-hmm. there was representing the NHLPA. And for all we know, the NHLPA decided that was how they wanted it. But I thought it would have been interesting if a Gary Bettman or a Bill Daly were present to sort of stand beside Marty Walsh. But maybe that would be bad optics because if you're representing the owners, you don't want to be seen as too chummy immediately yep. with the head of the union. And it is interesting that another topic that came up in terms of the interpersonal dynamic was the relationship between Marty Walsh and Jeremy Jacobs, owner of the Boston Bruins. And of course leads up the board of governors. You could argue he's the most powerful owner in the league, or at least has been for most of his tenure. And Marty Walsh was very quick to squash that and say, yes, he donated to my campaign, but I would never allow anyone to leverage that. So that was one little hint he gave about the possibility of a super harmonious relationship with the owners and Gary Bettman, but also all the owners, it sounds like he's not interested in going that far. He wants to keep an arm's length. I think, and and I'm not sure, I believe it was your reporting also talked about some of the players that have been reached out. And I thought it was interesting that he's, he openly talked about reaching out to Connor McDavid. Interesting from the standpoint that I think he should. He's the best player in the game. And, and, and he and Sidney Crosby, I think, should have voice. I am curious about who the kingmakers are of the play, the players in the league now, because we know who they used to be. They've had, you know, elevated roles and, and, and opinions on things. I'm just kind of curious in this day and age, who are the most powerful players when it comes to the NHLPA NHL relationship? Well, I, I think it should be Connor McDavid. And it's yeah. smart that you touched on it, Rob, because if you look at Connor McDavid's overall persona, he is not known to be the most cute and cuddly. He's not the next coming of, of P.K. Subban out there. Right. But there are times when he becomes more verbose, and it usually is when he's discussing something to do with the game itself. He gets very enthusiastic when talking about best-on-best tournaments. He's always a staple in terms of competition committee. 
anything like that's making decisions on the future of the game, what it looks like on the ice. He genuinely seems to care. And I did notice near the end of the pressure, the presser, um, Marty Walsh did mention that he thinks there's room for more visibility in terms of sponsorship, general stardom, more individuality among the players. Because, of course, hockey compared to other major pro sports is known for sort of rejecting that star culture. And it sounded to me like under Walsh's reign, maybe the PA is going to explore allowing their players to stand out a little more. And it could mean a star system for marketability, but that could also mean in terms of leadership and getting a chance to be more prominent in making big decisions for the game. So to me, it would be wise to use Connor McDavid when he clearly has interest in, in the issues about the game itself on the ice. Let me stop right there and, and let's you and I have a little conversation on this because I think this is something that sometimes gets painted with the brush and we it gets thrown around by people that, you know, hockey players are this or this sport does this. I was recently talking to a baseball uh, agent who was complaining about the way MLB markets their players. I, I don't know who's best in class. I suppose it's the NFL, but you would get arguments from some of them. Is this a a, a league issue, an NHLPA issue, or is this a, an old white man in hockey issue that it's just the way the culture of the game is? I, I you know, and the, the example I give you is the Trevor Zegras Michigan, or even the assist against Buffalo last year. If you remember, that got everybody all fired up, right? Like, oh, he can't do that. If he was playing for me, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Well, the NHL uses that as a highlight in their package. So, you know, I think the NHL is highlighting the kid. Where are you at on all of this, Matt? Where do you come down? Yeah, I think when you think of all those examples, I think it's all of the above. So to me, best in class for promoting stars is by far the NBA. But the NBA has every advantage because your rosters are much smaller. Yep. Your number one players are on the playing surface for 80% of every game. The people in the crowd are so close they can touch the players. The players have no obstructions, helmets, cages, masks, nothing on their face. So just that alone gives the NBA an automatic leg up. In the NHL, the best player in the world, Connor McDavid, you get 22 out of 60 minutes, he's on the ice. He's got a helmet with a visor on. You don't get a really close look. You're obviously not sitting too close to him. So that already puts hockey a little bit further behind. Same goes for the NFL. So there are some inherent disadvantages in terms of player visibility in a literal sense. At the same time, I do 100% believe that there is sort of an archaic culture in hockey yeah. and it holds the sport back. And I still think it it is sort of where you get the the problems like homophobia, racism, because it all ties to the fact that being different is wrong. Yeah. And if you don't believe that, look at what a rookie player does every single time he debuts. What does he do? He takes a lap by yep. himself yep. because skating by yourself is a punishment. Standing out is so big of a deal that it's used as a punishment for a rookie. To me, that little act tells you all you need to know about how the culture is perceived of standing out. And I do think the same goes for P.K. Subban. I heard whispers over the years that he wasn't always a popular teammate. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because he was so entertaining and willing to stand out, which I absolutely loved. But it goes against the typical hockey culture. I think it's the same reason you get a lot of rejection among players of what Trevor Zegers tries to do in the game. At the same time, you can tell the NHL is trying. They're trying to grow the game. And you even see the cover of this year's video game. You have Trevor Zegers and Sarah Nurse. And in a very sort of urban looking street hockey environment, they're experimenting, they're trying to be different, but it seems like there is that culture clash between the old and new school. And it might continue for years to come until maybe 20 years from now, you'll have a generation of fan kind of grandfathered out. But right now, I I don't know, dude. 
I don't know, dude. I'm young enough to remember when a brash Jeremy Roenick came into the league and Jeremy would say things and, you know, we all, we don't, you don't say that, Jeremy, you know, you can't say that. Um, I'm like you, I keep expecting that. And it's funny, um, last night on the Flames broadcast, on the Sportsnet broadcast, Ryan Leslie brought up a really interesting point about talking to Adam Oates, who is Trevor Zegris's skills coach. And, and the, the gist of it was, I want him to work on his game skills. I don't want to work on, I don't want him to work on his Instagram skills. So now it's again, we've, we've launched that culture war of, well, you can have game skills, but you can't have Instagram skills, which credit to Ryan, I've never heard that term before. And I thought that really kind of got me thinking, especially on this topic. Yeah, and I understand it. You know, from a coaching perspective or skill development coach perspective, of course, you don't want your athletes to have any distractions. You want them doing whatever it takes to win. Yes, sure, you could argue that a move like the Michigan actually is a way to win because it's it's trickery, but I don't think that's what we're discussing in this context here. At the same time, if you have to zoom out a little more and think of it from the league perspective, before anything else, the NHL is a business. The goal 100%. is to generate revenue, to put some seats. And for that reason, you don't want to necessarily suppress personality and entertainment. The coaches of every team might not agree, but I think the bigger decision makers from a marketing perspective of the NHL, they do want to see more excitement and personality. And that's the reason why they try to embrace players like Trevor Zegers that have more of a youthful presence and social media presence. Do you think, you know, you're part of the, you know, you're part of the nation network, your daily face off. We're, you know, the nation network, the flames nation here. Do you think that the NHL, do you think, Two-parter. Do you think the NHL would allow it? Do you think a team would allow two brothers to do a podcast like the Kelsey brothers do? We just had the two first two brothers ever traded, right? The Ritchie brothers. Yeah. Could the Ritchie brothers do a podcast in season? Do you, do you think that would happen? I think it could be done in season. Um, I mean, I've had Seth and Caleb Jones on my own show, but that's, that's, that's a one-off, right? right? So in terms of a regular occurrence in season – I do think that you see individual teams, they have promotional stuff like that that they do all the time. You know, Dallas Stars did it for, I think, years with with Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. But in terms of something, if we're talking for the sake of discussion, something that would get the prominence, the equivalent of a spit and chiclets, then I don't think so. And the Kelsey brothers, that's a great example. And it really ties to something interesting when you talk about Travis Kelsey. Can you imagine an NHL player hosting Saturday Night Live today? Wayne Gretzky did it. I, I was just about to say, I'm old enough to remember yeah. when uh, Wayne did it, but yeah. Of course. And he was on the Wayne's World sketch. It was great. And it will never, ever, ever happen again because NHL players just don't have that. Connor Mc- that or, and this is not a knock against Connor McDavid, but I don't think anybody would allow him to do it. That's right. And it's, it's sad. He's the best player, in my opinion, since Wayne Gretzky. Right. Best talent. Like he's going to catch Mario Lemieux in scoring titles this year, 26 years old. Yeah. So I don't think that's even hyperbole to say it anymore. And he will—he would never dream of even going near the set of SNL. But your guy PK Subban could have. He very could've. easily could have, right? I agree, a hundred percent. And yeah. I remember uh, interviewing PK a few years back, and he, at the time he was taking a course, a sports business course for life after the game. And Michael Strahan was in the course. Yep, I believe Lindsey Vaughn at the time was in the course, and it showed that he was a different type of thinker. And and I respect it. I, I wish that hockey would embrace those personalities yeah, more because. Here we are talking about Trevor Zegers and the Michigan. It's fun. You want characters. You want storylines. That's what makes the game more marketable, in my opinion. I agree. Just more entertaining. I agree. And and I I mean, I go back to the Heritage Classic in 2011 when Montreal came here to Calgary and played at McMahon Stadium. He was so much fun as a rookie. 
you know, talking about his water bottle was full of chicken soup and crackers. And, you know, it, it just, it broke it up. It was so different and fun. And, and I'm, I'm a little disappointed he's not in the league anymore. And I'm a little disappointed because I still think a little bit like you that he's not in the league anymore because he got ostracized because he has too much fun. Yeah, I think it's sad but true. But it's not like, you know, obviously in New Jersey, his his game declined a little bit, but I thought it rebounded slightly last year. And it's not like he's 39 years old. He's no. early 30s, closer to early 30s than mid-30s. Right. And even as a bottom pair defenseman, he could still play. Yeah. But I do think, and I, I don't know this, I don't, this doesn't come from any insider knowledge, but you have to wonder, would a team that was pondering bringing him in as their third pair right shot defenseman, maybe they said, you know what? It's too much of a distraction. That might be the line of thinking, which is sad because to me, the line of thinking should have been, hey, he's going to make our team a lot more interesting. He's going to take pressure off a lot of other veterans who might maybe don't like to talk as much to the media. Mm-hmm. I think it could have been a positive presence. But here we are, and now we're enjoying him as an analyst. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I was in Calgary when Todd Bertuzzi came, and we were asking, is this too much of a distraction? No, he's you know a, a hockey player. We somehow managed to find a way for that. But anyway... I digress, Matt. I digress. Back to Marty Walsh just for a second. Um, and you mentioned part of what you were talking about there. So escrow, I don't want to. I don't want to speak down to the audience. I think most of us understand escrow, but can you just kind of give us a a little bit of an update where the NHL and the NHLPA sit at this particular topic right now? Because it's as I understand, it's almost it's almost done, right? If that's, that's a way right. to describe In terms it, of paying back paying back the debt yeah right as a result of the pandemic it was delayed so that the players could survive they could still you know metaphorically eat during the pandemic so there was an escrow debt to be paid back to the owner's share of hockey related revenue right and my understanding is if it's not completely paid by the end of the season it's really close okay there's only just peanuts left to be paid which is why we can now start to see the salary cap increase so theoretically if we only get the one percent increase or $1 million increase, I should say, this summer, I think we should see more and it'll start going up by much larger amounts the way it used to in the beginning of the cap era. We'll see that normal pattern beginning again in the next few years. But right now it's not, you know, it's not technically paid off just yet, but it's close. Close. Uh, You had mentioned before that Marty Walsh seemed like he was prepared for some topics and others he, you know, he's going to need to get some backgrounders still on. But best on best was something he came prepared for, right? He knows that there's an appetite. Um, I I find this one to be a little bit, I don't know, disingenuous. You know, baseball has this terrific world baseball classic and the finale is, you know, almost dreamlike. And the next day it's like, why doesn't hockey have this? Well, I, I feel like hockey's has been more geopolitical than anything. Where are we at in terms of true best on best coming back to this game? It's funny, Rob. I used to be the biggest optimist thinking that, hey, the players have such an appetite for it. We're going to get best on best. I thought it was going to happen in Pyeongchang and, and so on and sure. so on in yeah, Beijing yeah. as well. But now I've, I'm jaded. I've gone the other way. Um, and even when it came up with Marty, it wasn't during the live presser, but there was another secondary scrum he did after and he said he refuses to comment on the situation in Russia, the invasion of Ukraine. Yep. And that obviously is the number one factor that is making the NHL stay in limbo. It's the Russian relations. What to do with Russian players? Do you create the equivalent of Olympic athletes from Russia in the tournament? Do you bar Russian athletes from playing in the tournament, even though it's an NHL-run tournament and they're still playing in your league? You can tell that the headache almost scares the NHL, and they're trying to wait out the conflict in Ukraine to see if they can maybe do it in 2025. But if you get to 2025... 
Is the NHL going to be willing to pause the season in 2025 and 2026 for the Olympics? I think you're getting one or the other, not both, which is very disappointing as well. Yeah. So when I factor in that, I'm kind of thinking, okay, are we going to lose 2025 as well and just jump right to 2026 as the next best on best? I wouldn't be surprised. And I hate that I've become jaded, but yeah. it's sort of a believe it when I see it. Yeah. And it all stems from the fact that the owners, other than the World Cup, when it comes to the Olympics specifically, they just don't have the desire to go. They don't gain revenues from it. They, they think short-sighted. They don't think about the big picture exposure. They think, I'm not getting any money in my pocket from this tournament. I'm risking my athletes getting injured. And they don't, they're never going to like it. The players see- are always going to want to go. Owners are not. So that's obviously always going to be contentious. And that might be something that comes up in the next CBA negotiation. We'll see. But World Cup, Marty Walsh said he's hoping for 2025, but that they have to get something on paper. Those are the words he used. And that implies that there hasn't been too much progress, I think, since we last got the update a few months ago. Yeah, it's funny. You, you, you know, you're a little less optimistic. Um, I'm not sure what the proper word is for me. I, I, I just, I see the NHL's point when it comes to the Olympics because of how screwed up the IOC is. You know, they don't get access to the video. They don't get access. They, they can't really truly mark. I mean, the IOC is a completely different animal. Having said that, Matt, wouldn't waiting till 2026 give the NHL the perfect coverage to not have to make a decision on Russia? Because we pretty much are guaranteed the IOC will be spineless on it. They'll allow athletes from Russia, ergo, well, we're going to the Olympics. There's nothing we can do. It's their rules. We're not the bad guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I could see that. Absolutely. Uh, It makes the decision for them. Uh, If that was the case, I would love to see sort of a firmer commitment. We are absolutely going in 2026, something for the fans and players to get excited about, because that will mean 12 years between best Uh, on best. That is so sad. 12 years, because I don't count even the World Cup 2016 as best on best when you had the gimmick teams. I enjoyed the gimmick team. I did too. Yeah. When you had McDavid and Matthews not on their, their national teams, clearly the tournament by definition was not best on best so that's 12 years and that's just such a long wait i mean 11 years is a long wait too but i still think the nhl if i were to guess what's happening they're they probably have a soft drop dead date and they're waiting out russia and if things change by a certain date they'll activate a plan for a 2025 tournament because the nhl they're of course motivated more for the world cup than the olympics 100 100 the moolah of course right to the nhl so I do think it's going to depend on what happens with Russia, and maybe they just have a date in mind. It has to be resolved, or something must change significantly by X date. Last one on this, and I'll move to something else. Um, do Is there any traction at all to perhaps moving ice hockey to the summer games? I know that every once in a while comes up as a, you know, as a possible olive branch to owners or, or whatever, but is that even realistic? I think it would be interesting, and some people passionately reject the idea, but I think, hey, basketball is played during the winter, and basketball's in the Summer Olympics. What's the big deal? Who cares that it's on ice? But at least my understanding was it, the last time it came up, it was very quickly squashed okay. by the NHL, and okay. I don't think that's changed. It seems like they just aren't interested in moving it to the summer, even though I think it would be kind of fun, personally. Um, last one on, on Marty Walsh and the NHLPA player safety. You, you did touch on this a little bit, kind of the, the mental health approach. I, I understand as well that recently at the Board of Governors meetings, there was some talk of making uh, wrist and, and ankle uh, protection mandatory. Um, 
how robust is is player safety going to be or should be for the NHLPA moving forward? It always seemed to me that it was a it was one of the first things that they surrendered in negotiation. That you know the, those things that were so concerning to them, they gave that up because they were chasing the dollar. Is player safety something that the NHLPA needs to focus on? It's funny. I, I would almost argue that the NHL might care more about player safety than the NHLPA, which sounds strange. Yep. And of course, the PA as a whole wants to protect its players. Sure. Even when you think about the negotiations when a player is going to be suspended, the PA is representing the offender, not the victim. That's so, right. And because that's where dollars are at stake, right? When it comes to actual player safety, you know, we know the culture of hockey players themselves. They Ryan O'Reilly still doesn't wear a visor. They just want to wear what they're comfortable in mm-hmm. and they understand that they put their bodies on the line and that sort of just tends to be the group mentality of the majority of players in the NHL. Whereas from the owner's perspective, they want to protect their assets. That's what helps them win games. That's right. what helps them make more money. So I, I almost would argue that, ironically, player safety might matter more to the owners. Uh, and I do think there needs to be, and I think there will be, further discussions about cut-resistant cut technology. Not that we've seen the skate cuts happen that often, but when they do, they're pretty catastrophic. Yep. They can be life-threatening, as we've seen, all the way back to Clint Malarczyk, Richard Zednick, fact that i can remember those names that sure burned into my brain they yeah. are right so yeah. uh i wouldn't be surprised just because it seems like when we, when we get these skate cuts most recently of course evander canes that was the prominent one this year it always feels like they're preventable if you just had the right mm-hmm. type of material right to to prevent it um matt i don't do this often because uh, you know our business is one that tends to be in the moment and those sort of things but when we started back in february uh we do a little thing every day i tweet out a, a you know, just something that I like that somebody should, that you should read just because I like people to read. And, and one of the first ones I did was, was your column on Kale McCarr and concussions. And I just thought it was a really important piece to be read. I thought it was a timely piece at the time we were talking about a Calgary kid that had suffered concussions within the span of 11 days. And I, I thought you did a nice job, real nice job of kind of outlining the procedure, how it goes into it. Did that spawn proper conversation? Did anything come out of that? How can we follow up that story? Because I thought it was a really, really timely piece. So far, it hasn't spawned any new conversations that I know of. But I do think there is a general perception among a lot of people that the concussion spotter system isn't quite right. And to me, what bothered me, what gave me the idea to write the column, you know, something is broken when, so I, as I wrote in the column, I'm a longtime sufferer of post-concussion syndrome. I have some life-altering permanent uh, effects from some of the head injuries I've yeah. had. So I'm very familiar with what happens after you have a setback or, or a head injury. And I watched that hit from Makar, the first one that he took. And I said, well, he's not playing tomorrow. And then he returned that game. Yeah. And I still said, he's not playing his next game. Yeah. No way. And even though they, they ruled him fit to rejoin the game, as a sufferer of these symptoms, they don't always manifest themselves right away. And I wrote that in the story. If I've hit my head on something, they say, are you okay? I said, I don't know yet. I might not know until tomorrow. It's so nebulous. No one understands exactly the science behind a concussion. It's so different from patient to patient. You just have to err on the side of caution. Yep. And it was very scary. The fact that just like with Tua in Miami, of course. That's Sydney what I was going to reference. Yeah. Yes. Going back to 2010, you had Kale McCarr come back and suffer a setback immediately and we know second impact syndrome is one of the biggest threats in terms of long-term career safety and it almost ended Cindy Crosby's career I think there were 
There were some scary moments about a decade ago where we were wondering if he ever was going to be himself again. And same with Tua. I still think Tua could take one more big hit in his first game next season and it could end his year or maybe beyond, right? So to me, if even though, you know, and I wrote about it in the story, the concussion protocol, the return to play protocol are very detailed. When a player can still slip through all of it Mm -hmm. and suffer a relapse of symptoms that quickly, then clearly we're not taking enough precautions. Something has to change. No, and, you know, I understand the medium in which I work, and I understand how, you know, talk sports, whatever we want to call it nowadays, works. And and what bothered me the most about Tua was, boy, that burned hard and bright for like two days, and everybody across the world had an opinion, and it was a line that they weren't prepared to cross, and then they forgot about it. And then it happened again. And then it was, and it, it just seems like this knee-jerk reaction to, like, like, which part of this are we not picking up? Like, Chris Nowinski and the, the Concussion Legacy Group have been doing work for de- a decade plus now on this. You have, you know, obviously uh, more uh, ability to write on this than most because you have gone through this. You, you, you brought up, you know, player uh, Eric Lindros is never was never the player that he should have been because of these. And it, it was worrisome to me when you get a young player as good as McCarr. You know, we saw Sydney go through it. And I don't know if people appreciate, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I don't know if people appreciate how close we were to losing Sydney. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he may not have come back, right? But we forget. I think that's true. Yeah, absolutely. There, I think people forget how touch and go it was and the whispers, like, is this, this is really bad. Yeah. And even when he came back that first time, he attempted the comeback. It was very short-lived and people were asking those questions. And in terms of just why it tends to fade from public consciousness, I think, again, it sounds cynical, but when all of these athletes are vessels of entertainment, they're being paid a lot of money and they feel that they're fit to return, anyone consuming that entertainment is just wanting to be entertained. So if you use Tua as an example, well, look at the prominence of fantasy football. Mm-hmm. Everybody who's a Tua owner is just hoping he comes back because you want to get those points with him hitting Tyreek Hill for long touchdowns, right? And I think... That mentality just it just takes over. That's fanhood. There's a detachment from the athletes. You don't see them necessarily as three dimensional people. Right. And if they're declaring themselves okay, which they almost always do before they're ready, then you seem to be willing to enjoy them as a fan. I think that is what tends to happen and why people forget a little too quickly. And I think there's a disconnect. I think there is sometimes a disconnect between the media covering the sport and the fan consuming the sport. I you know, I can close my eyes right now and I can see Joe Theismann's ankle break. I can. I, I was. I remember watching it on a Monday Night Football, and that to me kind of changed the course of history in a way because I think that was kind of the first time people in the media started saying, "Whoa, hold on now, you know, does this need to be safe?" Well, no, it's entertainment. These are gladiators. They go out, they entertain us. Don't worry about it. Um, and I think here we are, forty years later, and I think we're still dealing with that because I, I read that article. And I'm like, this is this is a call for change. Where's the change? right? Uh, th- this is really important stuff. So um, I'm disappointed to hear that nothing has, has come of it. My hope is that it will in the off season. And I think there's enough smart people know that, uh, you know, we can't just because it, it's because we've done it this way. doesn't mean it's always the right way. And I would hope that, yeah. that Tua and Kale are enough for everybody in sport to kind of pay a little closer attention that we, we have not solved this. Yeah, and I think, sadly, what it might take is for a career to end. So if you look at Eric Lindros' legacy, uh, I do think he, in terms of actual 
athletes who are playing the sport, you could argue he's the most influential figure on concussion culture and understanding of it in hockey. Correct. He was way ahead of his time. Correct. But in order to do that, he had to be the martyr. He had to have his career significantly altered yeah. by head injuries. So far, it hasn't happened for Kale McCarr. Sidney Crosby did come back, and now you know he's going to be a 1,500-point player with a really long, productive career. Right. Let's say, for example, Kale McCarr takes another hit before the season's up and we lose a year of Kale McCarr, then those discussions are going to become yep, that's true. much more common. But it's reactive, not proactive. It's just the way it is. It shouldn't be, but it's just the way it is. Not your question to answer, but I do ask the question, what about all the foot soldiers and all the sports that have lost their careers because of it? Because there's no exactly. shortage. There's no shortage of that. No shortage of them. And sadly, to get the public to care, it's got to be a superstar. It shouldn't be that way. But what I'm saying is it is regardless. Uh, last one for you. And, and, and again, not, nothing necessarily directly related to anything you've written lately, but just an observation. You, you touched on Connor McDavid earlier. You were talking about his, his chase. Um, again, I've already established that I am old and decrepit, but I was there for Gretzky's you know, 215 season. Um, saw it, never, never going to see anything like it. This is the closest I've seen to it. And I think when you take into all the equalizations and the changes in goaltending and stuff, it's, it's on par. Where, where does this season for Connor McDavid rank for you? Individual season amongst the, the best that we've seen. Where does it fit? I think you can make a case, and at least among forwards, it's top three. Okay. And maybe you put multiple Gretzky seasons, multiple yep. into one category, because obviously he, had, he was so dominant. But if you look at the level of dominance, to me, I'm always looking at what you do relative to your peers. So yep. McDavid is going to win the scoring title by the largest margin in, I believe, 36 or 37 years. Yep. And to me, that's what stands out. It's the largest margin it will be by any non-Gretzky player ever. And that tells me you can realistically say it's in the top two or three. The only other single season I think that deserves consideration is Mario Lemieux's 1992-93, which I actually think is the greatest single season ever by a hockey player. He had cancer treatment in the middle of the year. He missed a month of the season, and his scoring pace was something like 93 goals and 212 points. He was right on par with Gretzky's goal and point record and had cancer treatment for a month in the season. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. So I would say Lemieux 92-93 is my number one. Everything Gretzky did in his prime would be category two, but I think Connor McDavid very realistically should be in the third tier. And I think he's staking his claim. I think the way he's playing right now, and again, he's only 26. By the time Connor McDavid's career is over, I believe we will be calling him the second best player of all time. Second best. It's still Wayne for me. And I think anyone who doesn't believe 99 is number one needs to sit down and go through his <laughs> statistics a couple more times. Yeah. Most dominant athlete in the history of team sports. Oh, in, in team sports. In team sports. He won the scoring race by more than 70 points six yeah. times. If scoring was so easy in the 80s, why was no one else doing it? Well, they were and, and would have been and would have been celebrated if they weren't lapped three times by this guy, right? Exactly. Like, you know, um, it's funny because I'm, I'm a child of the 80s, so, of course, I go to Michael Jordan. And, nope, Michael was good, but you could almost make a case. I think some do make a case. LeBron, you know, is, is there or close to that. Um, I also remember though, the, the old timers in my era saying, well, you didn't see Bobby Orr, like, you know, and I think a lot of people contend that Bobby Orr maybe had the biggest influence, but Gretzky was the biggest player. And then there, of course, there was Gordie Howe who did everything right. Um, yeah. it's, it's a fascinating conversation and, and I think it's made more fascinating by 
science, analytics, statistics, data now that we have to be able to, you know, I go back to of all things, the Rocky Balboa movie and the ES, you know, they, the, the movie, they, they did the, you know, the computer simulations, right? And it, it got this great conversation going. I really feel like we're kind of living in that era now, right? You know, can yeah, we can we set up Gretzky and McDavid on on the same level in, in terms of data? Yeah, I think we're getting closer to it. And as the more we understand about adjusted to statistics. And to me, if you're making the argument for Gretzky, it's it's looking at the dominance relative to peers. And the examples mm. I always try to give people are, if you want to compare Michael Jordan to Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan would have to have averaged 50 points a game for eight years in a row. That's the equivalent level of dominance. Barry Bonds would have had to hit 90 home runs right. eight years in a row. Yeah, Tom Brady would have had to thrown. 75 or 80 touchdown passes eight years in a row. There's just no one who has been that far ahead of his competition in, I think, pro team sports history. But he's Canadian and we're hockey fans, so automatically we lower our eyes and we go, yeah, maybe, okay. (laughs) But, you know, the biggest one we already discussed is the fact that Mario and Connor neither hosted Saturday Night Live. That will be the definitive factor. I would love to see it. It's never going to happen, but it would be great entertainment. It would, it would be great entertainment. It'd be great entertainment. This was fun, Matt. Thank you so much for giving us our time. I encourage everybody to check out the the columns at uh, Daily Faceoff. In particular, last week you had a great rundown on on Marty Walsh. I hope we can do this in the future. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Rob. Lots of fun. There you go. Matt Larkin from the Daily Faceoff, brought to you by the Ski Seller Snowboard. SkiSellerSnowboard.com, 76 years in operation. Can you believe this, kids? If you're a hockey fan or a hockey player, have you checked out their snow skating yet? Check it out. Ski Seller Snowboard, four locations in Calgary. Uh, coming up, our, our, our dude, our friend, Ryan Pike, will join us. Uh, lots to talk about. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, the Just a Game reading assignment will come out here in a couple of minutes. Uh, titled WWE UFC Owner Endeavor Agreed to $21 Billion Merger. Uh, written by Justin Barrasso. Uh, check it out. It's, a, I believe, a Sports Illustrated story. Um, a lot of people have been watching, uh, a lot of people in the uh, media business have been watching the sale of the WWE for a while. Um, it took a twist here a couple of weeks ago, months ago, when Vince McMahon, who exited in the fall, uh, kind of uh, on, under a dark cloud, as he should, um, cover-ups of payoffs for uh, uh, sexual assaults on women and uh, sexual encounters and, and things that you cannot do when you are entrusted uh, in, and in power. We know that. Uh, millions and millions of dollars in cover-ups going back decades. Uh, all of this came through. Um, the television part of the WWE gave him a big send-off, and his daughter was there, and big thank you chance. But he was disgraced, as he should be. He was disgraced. Uh, and we all thought, well, that that was it. That's how this story is going to end. Well, that's not it. That's not how this story is going to end. Uh, he comes back, and uh, this is the part that you have to be very careful about. I am not a lawyer, nor do I understand uh, U.S. business law. But there are some who describe him coming back and taking over the board as a coup with the WWE. Um, he said it was to guide the sale. The sale was expected to be in the billions of dollars. It was expected to really revolve around the catalog of content. Uh, you know, 
decades and decades and decades of content uh, and how that could be perused. They also have programming that is uh, still uh, wanted and desired by Fox and, and other networks, uh, streaming pieces. There, there was all kinds. There was Saudi money at one point that was um, you know, suggested that might be in there, the, the same people behind the Live Golf Tour. Um, they, they've gone over and they've done events there. But always lurking was this connection to UFC and Endeavor. And credit Dana White and, and his other partners of building up the UFC. Um, I, I, you know, we're going to have JD on uh, Thursday. He can talk a little bit more articulately about the history. But I do know as being someone in the sports business that I saw – UFC as human cockfighting and bare knuckle fighting and this won't go any that's what I saw people you know people turn their nose up at it that you know you don't want those fans those fans are terrible human beings all of these things you know uh and UFC all it did was continue to outperform and and outdraw and out you know beat up its competition um in a world that was looking for equality uh you know it was first dana white saying i believe that women will never fight in ufc and then promoting uh ronda rousey is arguably the the biggest female superstar if not individual sports superstar we've ever seen headlining cards etc etc so again another pioneer vanguard in in society and in sport um i got thinking about this merger which is looks like it's going to be $21 million. Um, Gav, you want to throw up... So it was WrestleMania 39, 3-9. Here it is. Um, Vince McMahon bought the uh, WWF at the time from his father uh, for a million dollars. And now it's worth 9.3 in this merger. Um, The WWE just held WrestleMania 39 at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, two-day event. Uh, Throw that one up there for me pal there you go uh the most successful wrestlemania of all time uh, largest audience in history record uh gate of 21.6 million most social media all-time records for uh merchandise sale and sponsorship they sold 20 million dollars plus in sponsorship for a two-day event maybe that's not your bailiwick maybe that's not something you pay close attention to there's very few teams uh, in some of the big four sports that will sell that much sponsorship over an entire season. If they do, it's an entire season's worth of sports sponsorship. That's an incredible figure for two days. Um, it's a going concern. Uh, and I, it's funny, I was listening a little bit to the barn burner and it was like real, wrestling, uh, real fighting and fake fighting and how are they going to get along? It's going to work. It's going to work. But it also proves to the evolution of the business that we're in. Hey, this used to be a radio show right? It's not going to be a radio show for much longer. It's going to be here. It's going to be streaming. That's the, the, the future of this business. Um, I am already hearing that a combined UFC WWE package for streaming or for broadcast, um, you know, is going to rake in incredible amounts of money. Um, we have to get past what used to be. We have to get past the way things have been. Um, and I say this all the time, the world is full of managers. It's not full of leaders, whether you like them or not. And I, I quite honestly, I'm not a fan. I, I, I don't think you should treat people the way he, he treats people. But uh, our, our capitalist society, now I sound like a communist. That's not what I mean. But in a, in a society that puts business and, and earnings and wealth at the top, that's your measure of success, I guess. Uh, he is a success. Uh, and I know our next guest will say, 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spend a little time uh, discussing that. Before we get to our next guest, just a reminder, we are live in the Oodle Noodle studio. We bring the heat. Try butter, chicken, mac and cheese, Kung Pao noodles, Bangkok Pad Thai classic, vegetarian and gluten options pickup and delivery at two locations 1244 17th avenue southwest 105 main street north in airdrie oodle noodle they bring the heat as we mentioned uh, our monday regular is here courtesy of our friends over at ski seller snowboard ski seller snowboard.com they have been in calgary for 76 years four locations check them out Glad to have him on the program, uh, and I can say the same thing about him. As he joins us every Monday, he is the managing editor for Flames Nation. Uh, would you please welcome our good friend, uh, Ryan Pike. Mr. Pike, how are you, sir? I'm good. It seems like there's a lot of things going on uh, throughout uh, the sports and <sighs> entertainment worlds in the last uh, few days. Isn't it incredible? Um, and I will give you... I will give you um, as senior guest on this program, I will give you the prerogative to pick where you would like to start today. Well, uh, I, we, might, we might as well start with the, the, I guess, the big news story because, you know, the, the local hockey heroes sticking around has been something they've done for a few weeks now. They're getting good at it. <laughs> They're getting good at it. They're hanging in there. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, you know, this is in a lot of ways a wrestling town yes uh, you know dating back to you know the the start of stampede wrestling in the 40s and 50s so yep. uh the 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 sale is one of those things where you know since 
basically when Tony Khan or not Tony Khan when Nick Khan yes. came in as the uh, as the new chief executive of WWE, the thought process was based on his connections in the entertainment world. Oh, they're getting ready for a sale. Yep, and then. During before the pandemic, it really accelerated during the pandemic. Uh, WWE cut a lot of costs, and as soon as they cut a lot of costs, even while they're making money hand over fist, yep. people were going, "Oh, they're they're pumping up for a sale." And then you know when Vince McMahon came back from you know his time away, his retirement uh, in January, uh, everyone he flat out said, "I'm here to help broker a sale." So the the tea leaves have been pointed in this direction for the better part of two or three years, but I'm not sure if anyone really expected it to take this exact form, but the more you think about that, more it makes sense. Yep. And the scary thing is, uh, you know, if, if you're someone who has, you know, seen some of your favorite independent wrestlers get signed to WWE in the last say year and a half to two years, one of the things in the uh, the SEC filing that they put out was the idea that by combining uh, WWE's infrastructure with USC's existing infrastructure, as UFC has been under the Endeavor umbrella yep. uh, for several years, they're looking at between fifty and a hundred million dollars in uh, in operational efficiencies to be found, which means shop. Yep. Uh, so there's going to be there's going to be more cuts, and I mean, you know, WWE's been a money-making machine. Uh, you can say what you will about uh, the quality of the wrestling product, but it's, you know, I, I always joke that it's bad wrestling produced very well. Uh, sometimes they have really good shows. Like they, they, they happen to announce this thing at the tail end of probably one of their better weekends in terms of doing the things that they do. I, I would mean, say so. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. they, I think they announced like, uh, you know, something, something north of 70, 75,000 uh, tickets per night. The actual seat count, according to WrestleTix, was closer to about 67,000 people, you know, paid yep. per night, which is still really impressive. I mean, yep. if you, if you can get 130,000 people to show oh. out, you know, 100, 150 bucks a head, plus merchandising, plus hotels, plus, you know, all the other stuff. Absolutely. I mean, they and they're, And right now in that space, like even more so than UFC, I think for a traveling event crowd, I mean, if you're a UFC fan, like we're, you know, there's the rumor it hasn't been officially. It's not official, yet, but yeah, not yet. Okay. But Ariel Hawani uh, of various places. I forget how many damn places Ariel's working now, but Ariel <laughs> Hawani uh, posted yes. on Twitter last week that the thought process is, I believe June 10th would be UFC 289 in Calgary. Okay. But using Calgary's UFC as example, if, if UFC is doing enough big shows that they say, hey, we're going to – like they just you – know, they did a Melbourne, Australia show. So you might get people coming from the surrounding area coming to Australia. But unless it's like a big, big fight, like – to be blunt, I don't think UFC really has those as much anymore. Like you know, in Canada, if you know, they announced George St. Pierre is going re- to defend his title in wherever, you'd have a pretty solid fly-in crowd – from sure all would. over Canada that want to see a, a GSP fight. It yep. was it was honestly one of the more fun things of going as a fan to UFCs back in the day because back when they were more, you know, less standard, more big events, you had people going to Vegas from all over the place to see George St. Pierre, to see Anderson Silva, to see whoever, you know. Uh, but you don't really have that anymore because it's more standardized. It's, you know, they're going to Calgary. So people from the area immediately around Calgary will go. Right. Maybe if maybe a much smaller flying contingent and right. so on and so forth. So the standard UFC isn't really an event the way it used to be five, 10 years ago. 
but for you for wwe if they like they're they do a lot of stadium shows and you know they they've done you know they do SummerSlam in stadiums every year. I believe their SummerSlam this year is in Nashville. Actually, it was Nashville at last year in big stadium. I forget where it is this year. Uh, but, you know, they've done, you know, they've done big stadium shows. You know, they, they just did WrestleMania for two nights in, in Los Angeles at the SoFi. Stadium. Going to Philly they're next doing, year, aren't they? Yeah, they're doing Philly uh, yeah. at uh, uh, whatever the hell. I forget the name of the. Of the the Home of the bank. Eagles. <laughs> the Home of the Eagles. Whatever the hell. The, that, yeah. the, the bank. The, the, yes, the, exactly. That. But it's you know, the new stadium in Philly. And so the idea is, you know, they experimented with, you know, they've, it's always been a big fly in event. Uh, you know, I've been personally to three of them. It's mm-hmm. always good fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of other smaller companies sort of, you know, jump onto it and sort of hold their own shows elsewhere. Yeah. But it's, it becomes it's a, a weekend. Event. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, I have friends that went down there on Wednesday and just stayed the whole week. Right. So it, it's an event and, you know, cities can make a ton of money and they've got to the point where, you know, cities bid for WrestleMania because they're bringing in enough money from outside because it's a it's a fly-in crowd that you are legitimately getting economic benefit from it it's 100%. not just shifting from somewhere else yeah so they're the only game in town that can really do that anymore like even you know only the biggest sporting events can do it and if they do it two or three times a year with you know a royal rumble or a you know wrestlemania or a SummerSlam, boom you know they can do that they they have guaranteed revenue right now from from peacock for their uh, for mm-hmm. their pay-per-views they have guaranteed revenue right now for their television rights through fox and through nbc universal so they're a very profitable business and with the efficiencies they're going to find if you're you know endeavor and you're thinking you know endeavor took on a lot of debt when they bought ufc yep. and i think i think they have the ability to pay off a lot of the things that caused challenges with the UFC purchase with a WWE purchase. So I think, you know, the more you think about it, you're like, oh man, it's going to be weird, but it makes so much sense from a business standpoint. Well, and that's where I think the reverberations are going to be felt. Um, if now you have, I'm assuming it's going to go by the Endeavor name. Or it's go, they, they don't have a name for it yet. They're, okay. They're spinning off UFC and uh, WWE into a, yet to be named a uh, okay. subsidiary that'll be publicly traded. And the, the the most clever thing that they have is the stock ticker they've chosen is TKO, which is just... Oh, it's brilliant. It was, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's, it's perfect branding. So well done, Endeavor. So th- th- this is what I see. Tell me if you, you disagree that um, they'll lock up buildings because they'll have two properties. They'll shut whatever competition may be out there, AEW on the wrestling side. They'll shut them out of some buildings because they'll lock them up. Officially, I think- you can't... You can't do that because here, here's an interesting story. Yeah. Uh, so Ring of Honor, back back before AEW started. Uh, oh, this AEW, is the Madison Square Garden story, isn't it? Yeah, Madison Square right. Garden. So uh, basically uh, Ring of Honor, I want to say about 2017, 2018, Ring of Honor was white hot. They, you know, all the best independent prop, uh, talent was in Ring of Honor and also working for New Japan. Yep. And so at the time, the manager of New Japan and Ring of Honor saw some success they were doing on smaller scale shows and said, oh, damn, you know, it'd be really cool. Let's just run Madison Square Garden. It'd be awesome. And so they booked it. The yep. problem is they booked the show for May, I believe, and a majority of their talent, their contracts were up at the end of the year. It was right before they started AEW. So yep. all the key, key talent that was really driving uh, business for Ring of Honor at the time, uh, Cody Rhodes, The Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Adam Page, a few others, just – left New Japan and left Ring of Honor to go form AEW. So uh, they sold all these t- But anyway, so they, they were good. Before they announced the show, you know, they got, they booked the building, uh, did Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor at the time was owned by Sinclair Broadcasting. Yep. And so through Sinclair, they booked the building. And WWE uh, apparently 
talk to Madison Square Garden because they've been running Madison Square Garden shows Forever. since, uh, you know, God was a cowboy of, of, of Jess McMahon, yep. uh, Vince McMahon's grandfather. Yep. And they basically went, I mean, you know, you're letting other guys into our house. And so they almost canceled the booking, but basically uh, Sinclair was told, Hey, sorry guys, we got to back out of the booking. And because Sinclair media is a gigantic company, yep. they lawyered up and said, no, we got a contract. You, you know, they, they had very specific parameters under which you could cancel the booking and none of them were met. So, uh, MSG backed off, WWE backed off, and they ran the show. And granted, they haven't run a show since because, you know, at that point, like AEW, you know, Madison Square Garden is an extremely uh, expensive building to run out of. And AEW since has just run out of Arthur Ashe Stadium in Queens because yeah. it's bigger, it's uh, yeah. higher capacity, it's cheaper to book, you can make more money. It's honestly, I think, outside of the, the cool roof and MSG and the procedure running MSG, I think Arthur Ashe is better for what they're trying to do. But, you know, it, unofficially, WWE's sort of been, you know, since they've been the only game in town for years, they haven't really, they've been able to lock up a lot of these big buildings. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they really had to do anything uh, untoward to do it because if they're the only game in town, like it's like saying, you know, a lot of the NHL buildings are operated by the NHL clubs. So the NHL clubs, because they're the operator, can basically put a hold on the best dates sure. that they possibly need. Like, and they you know, do, you know, yeah. Like one of the few exceptions is like MGM yeah. uh, co-owns uh, a portion of the Vegas Golden Knights. But they also own and operate T-Mobile Arena. Yeah, and T-Mobile Arena is impossible to book between April and June. And U- UFC has this challenge when they're trying to book their summer events because that's their home arena. But you have the the Golden Knights playoffs you have a bunch of other sporting events like the final four the NCAA. Like yep. Every, yep. everybody is trying to book that arena now and it's causing a big headache so if you're wwe if you're the big money maker you can do it but if you're wwe at the same time you're also asking for site fees you're also asking for certain concessions that you know aw now is starting to book into more and more big venues you know they just announced a show uh, at capital one arena in washington dc for june uh, you know, where they ran, they've run it a couple of times, but, you know, it used to be that, you know, there was only one or two companies that could afford to ru- to fill yep. uh, an NHL or NBA size building. Yep. So you didn't, if you were WWE, you didn't really need to do anything to keep them out because no one could afford to run there. And, but I do agree with you. Like if you have the ability to just book out, like WWE is booking out right now, well into 2024. Absolutely. So, so is UFC. So if you can plan these things out and get dates, you can just, Book them well, and, and you sit can, on the dates for forever, you can, and all of a sudden, there's nowhere else to go. You can save multiple dates, too. Ah, we're going to use that one, right? So that's one. I think the other one is a streaming broadcast conglomerate. Um, I would be combining the rights. We'll see what they do, but I, I think a combined rights. The combined weekend, you talked about the big three for uh, WWE. I mean, there's already been some talk, has there not, about you know having a big weekend, a big fight weekend where... You know, you got all kinds of products, and it could start on Thursday and end on on Friday. Um, you mentioned the 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 combined resources of travel, marketing, broadcast, and all those sort of things. I I think it's it's in this crazy tumultuous broadcast world, what comes out of that alone will be game changing to me. Yeah, and I think you know we we've seen how things are changing. I mean. You know, good example of the synergies. I mean, look at Calgary Sports and Entertainment. They, you know, having everything into one house under one roof means that you don't need to have four HR departments. That saves you money. You don't need to have four marketing departments. You don't need to have four ticketing departments. You know, you don't need to have, you know, 
for UFC and WWE, they both have offices figuring out travel for the town. That's right. You don't need to yeah. have two groups anymore. You, nope. And if you have, and so like you could save money on booking, on booking out, you can save money on travel because you're booking so much or so many that, you know, if you're, if I'm an airline, I'd much rather deal with one group and just, you know, fill half a plane with these people. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it. And I, I think there's also going to be a lot of really interesting synergies that come out of that. So, I mean, you know, from a competition standpoint, is it good or bad? I don't know, because like, you know, from, you know, UFC being as big and, and ubiquitous as they have has been both good or bad in, in the, the combat sports arena mm-hmm. in terms of mixed martial arts, because, you know, they're the only game in town. Bellator isn't really nope. a major yep. competitor. They're good. They're, they're an alternative, but they're not nearly as prominent as, as other ones were. They're not really quite as big a strike force or any of the other ones previously were. Yeah. So it's tough. And if you're a fighter, it's basically, well, if you want to fight in the only major league there is, the only place you can really make much money, it's either you take the money they offer you or you go to hell. Well, uh, and, for, and for, you know, the point you raised is interesting to me about the cuts that are probably coming. Because if you're... That was... That's going to be the interesting part. If you're the other con, if you're Tony Khan, and you have AEW, which is doing good business, there's nothing wrong with it. Now, all of a sudden, there's going to be more available to you. That If I'm them, I'm having a little retreat going to BAMP for something for a weekend and going, okay, what are we going to do here the next couple of years? Because I think you would agree with me that their strength has not necessarily been able, their strength isn't necessarily using what has been given to them on a silver platter sometimes. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one of the, one of the interesting phenomenons was, so in, you know, what, when AEW started up in, in, you know, early 2019 and into the back half of 2019, and once it became apparent that they weren't just, you know, you know, as long as as long as there's been a WWE, there's been companies coming in being yep. like, "Oh boy, we're going to be the guys that take these guys down," or even just try to be alternative, a, a viable alternative. Yep. And the mo- up until this point, probably the most successful has been Impact Wrestling, which is now in Fight Fight Network. It's actually owned by Anthem, which is the parent company of, of the Fight Network. Uh, in a way, there's kind of a precursor to some of these weird synergies we're seeing now. Uh, but yeah. You know, when 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 AEW started up and it became apparent that they weren't going to go away quietly, uh, WWE basically signed everyone worth a damn on the independent circuit, and then their roster became bloated. They had you know dozens of maybe a couple hundred people they weren't using on a regular basis, and when Tony Con- or when uh, Dick Khan came in, that stopped. They basically you know there was a giant wave of cuts, and then it sort of stabilized a bit in the last six months or twelve months, but. You know, if we're if you're expecting that you're going to see a lot of these folks come up, then there's a big opportunity for a lot of talent to to, uh, to be to be made available. The other thing too is just the idea that you know the AEW's business model has really been propped up by their television deal, yeah. and their television deal is nearing its, uh, yep. its end. And it, they have a good deal, but their ratings are solid. And you know, if, if in the rights sphere, like say. Let's be honest. If you're if you're gonna be in the football business, it's NFL or nothing because there's not really any prestige yet on the things XFL like or the anything. XFL yeah. or any of the other alternatives. Yeah. And you know, there's really no secondary NHL. You know, the NHL isn't really a prestige sport, but they've managed to build mm-hmm. their their rights package very well. Baseball is what baseball is uh, from a rights perspective, but it's basically there's a few sports that are that are you know really prestigious and and develop that you know bring back that ad money, but. If you're if you're a television network, one of the few things they're basically what they call PVR proof are live sports. Yep. And pro wrestling has shown 
somehow that they're PVR proof the way life sports is. And that makes them, even with the, if the ratings aren't insanely high compared to the rest of the television universe, you know, WWE programming and AEW programming are regularly top one or two or three in the cable universe. Yep. And even, you know, SmackDown performs very well in the broadcast universe. And so WWE, because they're WWE, they can demand top dollar. But the ratings for AEW are not that much worse than WWE. Their, their production quality is high, uh, you know, they, and they've managed to really develop a lot of really good, uh, you know, yeah. a lot of good packages and, and stars in terms of the broadcast. So if you're, if you're, you know, a network that was thinking about bidding for WWE, and I think their TV deals are just starting to, to open up. I think uh, this month was when their the exclusivity uh, window for, uh, for Fox and Universal opened up. So they have, I think the next couple months to, to, to negotiate exclusively. If you're, if you're one of those broadcasters that is thinking you want to have something that has some panache to it, like pro wrestling and you get shut out of WWE, you can get a pretty good product for almost pennies on the dollar and you're going to get a lot of value out of it. And, you know, t- you know, even, even with all the, all the cuts that, you know, uh, Warner brothers discovery has been going through, they seem to be investing a lot of resources into pro wrestling right yeah. now because of that kind of return. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be, I think, you know, the, the, the deal is supposed to close in the next, you know, over the next six months and they're going to start shuffling things around. It's going to be fascinating to watch sort of how this develops, uh, you know, in that sphere in the next six months, because I don't think, you know, I think if you're, if you're a wrestling fan or a combat sports fan and you're just watching your shows, I mean, I don't think the WWE program is going to look appreciably worse or different than what is now. Like if you're, if you're a wrestling fan and you like what they deliver, they're, they're going to keep delivering it to you. But I think for the other programs, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to take advantage of the things that WWE is either unwilling or unable to do as a result of the, the synergies they need to find. Yep. Um, Ryan, we'll talk about the heroes in a second. Uh, one last one, though. It was uh, WrestleMania 39 weekend, and uh, I haven't spent too much time on it. We had a whole show on it on Friday. Um, top of the card last – I mean, it's already broken records. We, we discussed that earlier. Top of the card was uh, was Cody Rhodes and, and Roman Reigns. And it's hard for me as an 80s kid to – you know, kind of, wow, it couldn't be bigger than Hulk. Well, it is. It is. The numbers say it is. Financially, it's much bigger. Financially, it's much bigger, right? Even financially, it's bigger than Stone Cold and all of these things. Um, all the money, the offshore betting money, was on Cody to go over and Roman to take the loss. Roman gets the win. Skullduggery afoot, of course. Um, if you listen to the internet, which I encourage you not to do, um, this was not a very popular decision. Uh, what do you make of of the weekend in terms of sounded like more often than not had really good matches, you know, and we've seen WrestleManias the last couple of years, which or other big events would have been dogged. This was not the case. The uh, last WrestleMania I was at was WrestleMania 32, which had the infamous like a half hour of boredom main event with Triple H and Roman Reigns back when they were trying to make Roman Reigns the hero. Of right. Every town he was in. Right. And it was just. It was, you know, the the challenge in the past of WrestleManias have the, been that they're long and you lose the crowd. And the yep. benefit of, of, you know, also financially breaking it in two days, you know, you get twice as many tickets sold. You don't burn out the crowd by having a, a seven hour show. So I, I've, I've heard there were very good shows. Uh, I don't the, the rat. So Sami Zayn in February in Montreal was the hottest thing in professional wrestling. Maybe one of the hottest thing in sports. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they organically create a situation where 
everyone and their dog wanted to see this, you know, scrappy underdog baby face beat the big guy. 100%. And, you know, it didn't happen. And and I think the rationale was, well, you know, they've, they've been building up Cody since his return for this big triumphant moment in WrestleMania. And he'll be the one that beats the bad, beats the big bad guy who's literally beaten everyone else. I think there's really no one who hasn't really lost to Roman Reigns during the last thousand days at this point. And then he lost. So I have no idea what they do now because – Sure, they could they could go back to Sami Zayn. They could go back to Cody Rhodes. They could do combinations of both in you know the intervening months. But it, it really Whoa. feels like this was sort of the moment, the crowd, the the, the situation where you could have really you know let's be the only thing I media fourteen was the moment that right it seemed to make the most sense to strike while the iron is hot and make Stone Cold and, right you know SummerSlam two thousand two when they they're like okay they they could have the Rock go, you know, beat Brock Lesnar, but they went, no, let's make Brock Lesnar. And they, you know, Brock Lesnar has been a, a star at that level pretty much since, you know, he, you know, his, his big main event moment was just beating the brakes off of uh, sure. the rock. I, I'm not, I'm not justifying it. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, but I, I think they got, I think they've fallen in love with this thousand day thing. I think they've fallen in love with this Bruno San Martino thing. I think they've fallen in love with, you know, because we talked about this on Friday, that promotion has always been a babyface champion promotion. This is so unique for them, right? Yeah. And up until this point, wouldn't you agree that for the most part, you know, Brock's been in there a couple times, but it's one and done. You know, he fights Brian Danielson and he's done. He moves on. He fights, you know, Sheamus he, or uh, Drew McIntyre. He moves on. Now, you know, I is this a throwback to the old school where for the next year, Cody chases? And we do a series of matches and a series of... He did chase though. Like he won the the, the Royal Rumble. No, but he he wore, he, no no. But in terms of you know, it used to be, and it, and this is so inside baseball. I swear to God, we'll get to hockey. But it used to be before a, a tag team won a tag team championship, they went on the road with the champions for three months and took the losses. Then they beat them. Right now, that was yeah. ne- that was never lived in life because we didn't see those house shows. But is there a is there a, a thinking that perhaps Cody can go to SummerSlam now, and they can but, create? I'll, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate there. No, you're not doesn't playing devil's feel- advocate. You're on the right side. I'm playing devil's doesn't, advocate. Doesn't this feel a lot like Lex Luger though? The Lex Express. Yeah, where it's like they they, they do everything they can. Lex wasn't over though. Lex, Lex wasn't this is over. True. Lex this wasn't over. They were they were trying to force force Lex. I, I hate Tony to. Rose felt a lot more organic. I'm embarrassed to say this. I am embarrassed to say this, but there is part of me that believes the social media that that Vinny K got involved, that it was his guy and he made the call. I'm going to swerve you guys. You guys all think you know what's well, going to happen. Mean, he's back, and they, the 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 program opened the night one of WrestleMania opened with John Cena coming out with his Make a Wish kids and fighting the the dastardly Austin Theory and losing, and the weekend closed with. You know, uh, Cody Rhodes, beloved babyface, coming out and kissing his family and kissing his baby and giving giving uh, Brody Lee some. Yeah, how about that moment? And kissing everyone, and they basically said, "This is the this is the the hero of this city," and then he loses. So, lose the the babyface falling short, especially in their hometown or anything close to it, especially with a, a favorable crowd. That's that's the Vince McMahon playbook, right? Uh, it, you know? it, right? It, right? So, and then what's? I mean, are you watching tonight? I, I mean, taping or whatever, but what's I that? I have it on the back. I, also, I haven't really watched a full WWE show in, what year is this? Well, so it's that's fine. So that's the perfect example. But you're going to have it on in the background. 
because it's a Monday after a Raw, and they didn't do what everybody thought they were going to do. How are they going to explain it? Will The Rock show up? There's all this crap now that comes in, and I'm not saying you're expecting The Rock to show up, but it just, to me, was, and I said this on Friday, the play for me was to have The Usos go over and Roman lose, and then you've got this Greek tragedy, right? How can the leader not be the champion and the underlings are the champion? That would have been great theater. They didn't do that. The, the underlings lost and the big guy wins. So now what do you do? Is, so is, is L.A. Knight going to come out and challenge Roman Reigns? That's another VK thing, right? But he's, I don't know, that, that character has been presented as such an afterthought. Since, oh, I know. It's embarrassing. But, but the, the, it's the, embarrassing. The big, the big challenge they've always been, like, the, you know, you know, uh, we'll get into hockey momentarily. We will. Like the, 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 big, the big thing that WWE's always you know, been, I'd say, very good at is the moments. Like, I was at the WrestleMania 30 in New Orleans where, Dan, you know, Brian Danielson won the world title. It was a fantastic show, a great moment. Moment, And then yep. what happens the day after? Well, they're really bad at follow through. Like they're, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> that's, they're that's at, an understatement. Moment, like yeah. Kofi Kingston winning the, the world title, you know, uh, you know, Chris Benoit, and Eddie Guerrero winning the world title. Like all, they have all these great WrestleMania moments where at the end, you're like, man, what a great show. And then a month later, it seems like they've have the uncanny ability to build up this goodwill during the January to March period, and then just completely let the air out. Of but, the but, but son, I'm here to tell you, that's a, that's a tale as old as time. Cause we, you know, you look at Ric Flair in a, in a promotion that was a heel promotion for a champion, but they built up Ricky steamboat and they, how, or dusty or Ronnie Garvin, and they made the chase and they finally win and they can't hold it for a month. Right. To be fair, Ronnie Garvin, they designed Ronnie Garvin to get the title for a month so he so uh, Flair had someone to beat at a bigger show. Yeah, but you know what I'm but saying? Still, but yeah, you know still. what that, but that's the point though, but it it feeds that narrative, right? It's yeah. not it's not like again, we got to be careful here about what's real and what isn't real. Yeah. You know, what's what's the but purpose I mean, like of Cody? But what's the purpose of Cody this, now? Does this, Cody this not isn't... add more to the does Cody not add more to the reputation of Roman Reigns because he was supposed does he, to did win he, he, Added to his reputation after nine hundred and something days. If you're chasing Bruno San Martino, he does right. I'm not again. You're right. I can't say this enough, Ryan. You're right. I'm trying. I I don't know how to explain the logic here. Wrestling fans, we hear you. We love you. I keep seeing fans pretend that they're playing nine-dimensional chess. I mean, AEW did a fantastic job on their first show. They had. They told the story of here's the scrappy young baby face Adam Page. He's going to try to win the big one, and then he loses. And he doesn't. He was, you know, he yep. lost spectacularly. And then they told like a three year long story where he overcame his anxiety, his his self doubt and stuff, and won the title. Like, yeah. They did a great job with it, and it fed in really well. And at the end, I think everyone in the audience had a oh yeah, I remember that. That's kind of cool, kind of moment. So it worked both in the moment yep. and in sort of a, a more of a long term storytelling. Sense. Yeah. I, I don't think WWE has built up, uh, up any goodwill or reputation for having the ability to pay those. Things I off. think they the were best long term storyline they've ever done is just have a guy not lose. Yeah, but I think, but but that's that's part of my point is I think is Vince started the bloodline. I think Hunter, perf- I think Sami Zayn perfected the bloodline. I would go that. That was, I think you would agree. You could have put a lot of guys in there, and that would have been great for a month or whatever, and it would have gone away. He he took a moment and blew it up. And I think Hunter ran that. And I think Vince is back, and Vince is going well. 
you know, the, the now Cody gets a partner and they win the tag team champions because that's how it works, right? King Kong Bundy, he fought Hogan, lost that. Then he, you know, he got a tag team partner in John Studd and the big boss man fought Hogan, he lost, so then he got Akeem. Uh, I've seen this. I'm t- it's over and over and over and again. Okay, enough. Hockey it is. However, is, it was a good weekend, though. Back to the mid card. Yeah. I hope it's just not back to the mid card. Oh, but it very easily could be. Yeah. Very easily could be. And, and about a team that's not going back to the mid card, at least not right away. <laughs> yeah, the that's locals. a great transition. Yeah. Great Fantastic segment. segue. Yes, they are not going back to the mid card. They're fighting for that outside spot on the on the main event. Um, Friday. Come from behind, win. First time they've done that in Vancouver. Uh, that was important yesterday. And and I'm you know I'm not a fan, and I and I want fans to be happy. But I I came away from that game going, geez, come on, like seriously, you found a way to win, but seriously. Yeah, it was it was the you know they let's be honest, it's a four game winning streak. They've it, had two. They I did a piece uh, on the, on the site this morning. They're, the the first two games uh, against LA and San Jose, they trailed for a total of twenty five seconds. They I saw that. Yeah, yeah. They 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 were in control. They're in the driver's seat. And I mean, against San Jose, yes, you would expect the Flames mm-hmm. to be in the driver's seat that game against LA. Mwah, beautiful work. You played a really good team. A team Who had what one eight in a row or something coming into that one? Yeah, they they not just that they they, they I think they were. Undefeated since before, undefeated in regulation since before the All Star break. I think that's what it was with okay. a 10-0-2 record. Okay. They have points in twelve straight. They're going for their franchise record, and LA played really well. Yep. Flames just played better, yep. and it was one of those ones where you look at it and go like, "All right, let's see how they can do." Then you go into Vancouver, and between the Vancouver game and the Anaheim game, they've led for three minutes and thirty-eight seconds across two games. Yep. Uh, they constantly allowed the first goal, and then battle back to tie it up and then allowed another goal and then battle back to tie it up and then another goal. And, you know, you got to give them credit. They didn't, they didn't keep 100%, coming at them, 100%. but they, they were also, I mean, you know, the, they didn't get great goaltending early against Anaheim, but they were also fairly leaky defensively. They were consistently leaky defensively uh, against Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, it was a, and some of it was bad luck. I mean, how many times have we seen Michael Backlund biff on a puck at the at the defensive blue line? Sure. Very rarely. Sure. But it happens. It, it happened happens. to McKenzie. I have a vivid memory if it happened to Mackenzie Weger in yep. Columbus. It was just those, those things happen when you have the puck a lot. So, you know, they they gave up a breakaway goal, a two-on-one goal, a power play goal, and a goal where the the fourth line just completely imploded and uh, Vancouver got multiple whacks at the puck, including Aiden McDonough uh, uh, of Northeastern getting his first National Hockey League goal. It was, a, you know, they, Vancouver played well. Vancouver's mm-hmm. been a tough out for a while. They have the and same if, number of regulation wins. Yeah, they have, they actually went to the same the game with the same number of wins. Period. Right. That's and what I meant. Sorry, that's what I meant. Yes, same number yeah, of they, wins. Period. They both had thirty four wins. For yeah. going into the game, and the Flames forgot a way to eke one out you know it was they were the better team they but they also made more mistakes than vancouver did yep. and they had to play their asses off yep. in the game to overcome their 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 uh their miscues and it was very similar against anaheim i thought that they just they weren't nearly as crisp in the first 40 minutes and then it just seemed like a you know a switch flipped in the third period they went okay we're gonna win on these guys now and you know yeah. uh, i forget who it was it was uh it might have been i forget it was 
Uh, I feel bad for forget. It was it was Tyler Toffoli, I think, after the game. I asked him, you know, what what was different in the third period, and he sort of commented that the, the few times that they were back in their own zone in the third period, the ice still looked fresh. They were pretty happy with uh, with how much time they were spending in their zone. But I mean, yep. you know, there's no style points anymore. They're basically no. they they it's it's by hook or crook. It's yeah. you know, uh, it's it's honky tonk man during the icy title reign, <laughs> where it doesn't matter at this point how they get it done as long as they get it done. And, you know, you'd you love it if, if every game was like that San Jose or that LA game. But I would say this, their ability to win ugly might be helpful because up to this point, it's been very difficult for him to win ugly. They either win pretty or they don't win. And that can be a challenge if you're a hockey club who, you know, you're aspiring to be put in a very tough situation uh potentially in a first round against if you make it probably Dallas uh, that can be a tough out uh, and you're going to have to figure out a way to win ugly against Dallas. They, they won ugly against Dallas a lot in the playoffs yep. last year. Yep. That's why they got through the first round. Yep. But I'd say, you know, I, it's, I feel bad for the fans because like, you know, a month ago, I think fans were looking at that second and third week in April and going, Okay, so we can go camping that week and golfing that week and stuff. That, and now everyone's just sort of looking at their calendar going, all right, what's going on now? And I'm sure the Flames love to love to ruin the, the spring travel plans of their of their followers. But, you know, it's I think it speaks a lot to just how odd this whole season has been from the get go. Well, let's put up the magic numbers because you uh, you were taught or you posted these earlier today. So there it is. Six and a half. You know, wins to Winnipeg losses or four and a half wins for Winnipeg and Calgary losses. Um, so if you you beat Chicago uh, and then you beat Winnipeg, that uh, magic number goes from six and a half to three and a half, and all of a sudden you're in the driver's seat. Hmm. Probably, yeah. I, I I'm tr- I, what worries me, and I don't know if I should be worried about this. What worries me is the trip up. You know, tomorrow. Don't look at Wednesday. Don't look at Wednesday. And and they, in fairness, the Jets lost to Chicago this year. They, I know they, they, they did. They lost at home to they, Chicago. They've lost to Chicago. They've lost to Nashville. They've lost. They you know outside of San Jose, they've lost to every team they they're playing the rest of the way. Yeah, and then Winnipeg's playing better. Winnipeg's playing a lot better. Yeah, they're they're not going to be a pushover. And Winnipeg's, uh, I think they're off. Their their next game is that Wednesday game. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the Flames are going to be either tired or battle-tested, depending on if you're an optimist or a pessimist. Well, um, and there you go, the results so far this year. Um, well, they've all been close games, haven't they? <laughs> say what you will. Here's the rubber match on Wednesday. I wouldn't say yeah. it's for all the marbles, but it's pretty close for all the marbles. Just take care of that Chicago game tomorrow. You could do yourself a lot of good if you could get out and, you know, just blow the doors. I mean, what, again, that's not a, a strategy. Nobody sits here and goes, let's play close and don't score a lot of goals. Uh, so, you know, but if you get out and blow open that game tomorrow and just run it up, and I know people say, well, then you get into bad habit. I'm not worried about that. Just, a, a I don't think you need two were, stressful uh, days in a row. That's what I'm saying. A few of us local media types were at the, uh, the Wranglers uh, regular season finale on Friday, mm. and, you know, we were sort of having a conversation. It sort of struck us, just the idea that, you know, with, with as tumultuous and uneven as this Flames Club's entire season has been, yep. uh, 
they're two points out and they could they could easily make it in. And that's that's kind of an amazing thing. Like I don't I don't think that all all the flaws of the season will be forgiven or forgotten if they get an X next to their name after game 82. But I mean, you know, it, it's kind of amazing. And also this, the, the fact that they're this close might be more of a source of frustration than a source of optimism for a lot of fans, because just the idea that, you know, we were, you know, we saw everything go well for the team, almost everything uh, a year ago. Yep. And they won the division. And they yep. were one of the top teams in the conference. And they got a banner and they had a first round playoff win. And, you know, they lost to the Oilers, but I think a lot of, Things had to go wrong at once and did for them yep. to lose the Oilers. Yep. You know, I, I point a lot to it as just you know, ever you know, Tanev gets hurt and then defending against that team normally is tough. And you take away your best two way defender, your stabilizer, a lot of stuff goes wrong. Yep. But I think you know, you you come into this season with the change they made, and on paper, I think everyone's like, oh, they could probably still make it in. You know, they the better def- they're a good defensive team. They might not score as much. And I think lately we're seeing that manifest. I mean, the LA game is a perfect example of what we expected for the Flames this year. They'd be a frustratingly structured team to play against. They get some timely scoring and then they just keep you the outside and hold on to the puck and frustrate the heck out of you. They mm-hmm. did that against LA. They've, they've done it a few times this year. And the fact that a team that has that capability to play so well and be such a, a, a frustrating, you know, suffocating team to play against. Right. And they still, you know, they they, they have had the the ups and downs they've had. It's it's remarkable, and I think you know, it'll it'll be interesting if they make it in, and it'll be weird if they don't make it in. And I think either way, there's gonna be a lot of navel gazing about sort of you know at this point, as you're at, you know we're approaching the airport, the plane's gonna land, and we're gonna see what comes of it afterwards. But you know, during the during the landing, you don't really litigate the landing. Once you're off the plane and sort of have a time to clear your head. That's when we'll do a lot of that. But what a what a weird year, man! What it has been. Year. It has been. Um, tell me about Chris Tanev. Um, I understand he's back skating. Yeah, uh, Eric Francis uh, reported this morning that apparently Tanev it was an optional or a, a sort of an off day, quasi okay. off day for the Flames. So uh, Tanev was skating with uh, some of the the group. He hasn't done. He hasn't taken part in a full practice yet. Okay. Uh, but you know he's he's getting back into it. He didn't have a stall last week, but. Uh, for the folks who are curious <laughs> about that, the Flames have 24 stalls in their locker room, and uh, Matt Coronado was the 25th guy to, they brought in. And you're probably not going to have on his first couple days your prized first round pick sit on a uh, chair, you know, a, a folding chair. chair. Yeah, but that's what happens. You know, that's what happens later on. So if everyone's healthy and the kid comes in, he sits in a folding chair with you know with uh, you know actually they usually put a couple folding chairs and he puts his stuff on the other chair. It's very high tech. Uh, and this isn't this isn't a satellite thing. This is just an NHL thing. If they run out of stalls, that's what happens. That's in the league, what in the happens. League. So they don't. I don't think they. You know, they had the ability to not do that to Coronado, so they didn't do that to Coronado. But you know, I think uh, they're going to need Tanev at a, at uh, close to his best to to make it in. I think. And the fact is, he, he, it sounds like he's starting to trend in that direction. They just got Michael Stone back, so. If Tanev comes back, then they're fully healthy, which would be kind of impressive. I mean, mm-hmm. they're a team that I think has has. Uh, if you exclude Oliver Shillington's absence, they've been remarkably healthy yeah. all year. They've really only been missing one or two key bodies at any given time. Yeah, uh, they had that one stretch I think in November or December where they were missing like one or two defensemen, but that's yep. it. They've been incredibly healthy, and you know maybe that helps them. You know, Chris Tanev can be the difference in a close game. Uh, speaking of difference, I, I, Troy Stetcher has really popped for me 
Um, you know, I, I thought at the time, you know, he was kind of the add in, you know, with Mackey going the other way and the two Richies, but, um, and there's a lot to be dealt with between now and next season. Is this a guy that's auditioning for a job here? Or is he just auditioning for an NHL job? I think a little of both. I think he, I think outside of, uh, Calgarian's propensity to, to not bag their dog poo in the, yeah. in the winter, which yeah. uh, I think he really likes the city. He seems, to, and he seems to really fit the, the playing style. They like, mm-hmm. uh, he was really, really good against Vancouver. He was really, really good, uh, against Anaheim. Yep. He's been, you know, he was, he's been the best guy at his pairing, uh, easily. And even with, with stone, I mean, stone had, uh, his shot near the end, but I think Stetcher did a lot with his mobility to really help stone sort of settle in a bit. Right. Uh, and you know, I think for, for a group that's, you know, without Shillington, they lose a lot of speed and mobility on their back end and having Stetcher jump into the rush, use his speed, use his, his panache uses, you know, he, he has a willingness to go to those areas and he has the, the skating ability to get to those areas quickly and get the puck. And, you know, for a team that, you know, at their worst tends to be around the puck, but lose 50, 50 battles, having a guy that has that extra step on guys, that can be big and, you know, having, having the, having possession a little bit longer can be mm. the difference between getting that extra goal. Like we saw the last couple of games and we're not getting it. Um, last one for you. And I, I think I know the answer, but let's talk about it. Um, I, I'm a little frustrated. We're not seeing Jacob Pelche right now. It's funny. I wrote down, why is Milan Lucic out there? And then he tied the game. So I had to scratch that out um, <laughs> there with back to backs. I just don't get the sense that there's going to be any dramatic line changes or any lineup changes. Is there, and I'm not even talking about Coronado. I'm just talking about uh, uh, Pelche. Do you see any scenario in which he comes back in? I'm sort of on the same same wavelength as you. I, I think, you know, I, I think in Sutter's mindset, he has sort of his core team, mm-hmm. and they've gotten them this far. I, you know, I, I talked to Mitch Love uh, of the Wranglers after the Wranglers win on Friday, and he sort of said something that sort of stuck in my mind because, you know, the Wranglers have a few extra bodies yep. who come in, and I'm sure they'd love to get, you know, guys like, you know, Stromgren or others like that into the lineup at some point. And I asked him, like, you know, how do you how do you balance, you know, what you're trying to do with, you know, resting guys or getting stuff in? And he's like, you know, I, I think these guys have deserved – they've earned the right to see this through. Right. And I think that's sort of a lot of what Sutter yep. makes of it too. And, yep. and you know, uh, you know, Nick Ritchie has been good at times. Sometimes he has been very good, but he's been good, especially lately. He was you know pretty good at key times uh, against Anaheim. One of the reasons they won. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's earned a bit of leash and, you know, Lucic, he's been in the line of broker crook pretty much all year. Yep. And, you know, he's, he's steady. And I think, you know, if you're the flames, you know, what, what, what can you say? I mean, you you know, you don't want a 22-year-old French-Canadian kid with a whole bunch of hockey ahead of him to make a, a mistake at the wrong time and have in the back of his mind that he's the reason the Flames didn't make the playoffs. And also, you probably want to give your the guys who got them this far a chance to see it through. And, you know, we'll see what kind of decisions they make down the stretch. But, no, I, I wouldn't expect to see, uh, you know, Rizicka, Coronado, uh, Pelche, you know, Dennis Gilbert gets in if somebody gets hurt. Uh, but I think, you know, he was the easiest guy to take out to put Stone sure. in, and that's what they did. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, th- I think there was probably some ta- some thoughts about maybe giving Dustin Wolf an NHL game or two if the Flames got mathematically out of it. But, you know, with the Wranglers making a push to, uh, you know, they're playing Coachella Valley in a clash of the Titans on Wednesday <laughs> yeah. night. That I feel, I feel, I'll say this, I feel so bad for the Hitmen and the Wranglers because 
The Flames play at 5.30 against the Winnipeg Jets. Yep. That's going to be the marquee matchup. Yep. But on Wednesday, you also have a playoff game at the Saddleome with the Hibbin and the Rebels, and the Hibbin tied the series on uh, on the weekend. Saturday, so yep. They potentially could be either trying to tie the series or trying to take a lead in the series or extend a lead in that series. And the Wranglers will be playing in Coachella Valley in, in, uh, in Palm Springs against Seattle's farm team in a battle that'll probably determine who's the top seed in the entire West or in the entire American hockey league. And Lord, I'm not sure if anyone will watch those games nearly as much as they do the NHL club. But I mean, that's the problem when there's like a buffet of good hockey. That's the nature of the business, right? That's what happens. There's a lot of, a lot of good stuff happened at once, but yeah, we'll see. I think it's, it's a, it's an exciting time. I think for uh, for high level hockey fans in this town because you know there's a lot of stuff going on at a lot of different levels and especially there's the potential for all three tenants of the Scotiabank Saddlehome to be playing playoff games in two weeks. It's mind numbing considering where we were a couple of weeks ago, but it hey listen it's fun that's what you want it, it's it's supposed to matter it does matter and and you're living and dying with every loss right now. The, the collective we are living and dying. Ryan, appreciate this. It's always fun conversation. We'll do it again next Monday, sir. Excellent. See you, man. Here you go. Uh, Ryan Pike, managing editor of Flames Nation, of course, brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard. SkiSellerSnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary. Four locations, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, just off of 14th Street. Bow Ridge Road Northwest by McDonald's at the bottom of Winsport and Winsport in Frank King Day Lodge. Some great deals to get you out there in the springtime in the mountains. That's pretty cool, too. Uh, He mentioned, should mention, the uh, Calgary Hitmen will host the uh, Red Deer rebels tonight um that series tied at a game of peace tough 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 night to draw a crowd uh i feel for the players i feel for the teams um i hope that uh, they can get uh, more than friends and fam- family out tonight um and again shut out in game one and then uh, calgary uh tied it late in the third period with the extra attacker i believe and then won it in overtime so uh, a good series against long long time rivals uh time now for our final mile um, kind of a, a, a little bit of a, uh, a different one today. Um, I don't know if you caught it. Our friend Cammy Kepke, who co-hosted with us last week, uh, mentioned it. Uh, last night was the last time that global sports, uh, ha- will have a, or are going to have a sports segment on their newscast. They'll have a sports reporter. Uh, Moses will remain doing that, and he'll file sports stories. But there's no more formal sports cast. And that brings to an end uh, just a historical run uh, for Global Calgary, or 2-7, and seven, as some of us remember it from our youth. Uh, you know, Eddie Whalen was there. Grant Pollock was there. Sports at 11. My dear, dear friend Joe Sports was part of that. Mike Toth, Mike Lonsborough, um, you know, Kevin Smith and Ryan Leslie. And and, and I know I'm going to miss some and, and Brendan Parker. And I, I apologize. I didn't really want to get into listing the names because the minute you do that, you forget somebody. But um, it was transformative. That, that show... Was real. That station was really, really important. It was a home of the Flames early on um, for the local deal. Uh, Sports at eleven was you know prior to you know the proliferation of of uh, TSN and Sportsnet. It was it was huge, man, in this city. I just remember you you, you want, waited to see what was going to happen. They were characters. They were allowed to be characters. They were local. They were yours. They were ours. Um, and it's a changing 
I mean, I want to be mad. I really do. I want to shake my fist at, at, at Shaw and Global. But, uh, you know, telecoms run our media now. And they don't give a tinker's damn about the content uh, as long as there's hits. If there's hits and, and, and eyeballs, that's all that matters. So I, I know it's easy to blame the big faceless corporations, um, but they basically follow us. They, they know what we're watching. They, they know what we're reading and, and our habits have changed. Um, you know, we're not in, we're not into hanging around watching the six o'clock news like we used to. We're certainly not in hanging around waiting for highlights and stories. Um, I think it, it creates a void, a really big void, to be perfectly honest. I, I mean, for the Calgary Hitmen, they have a big game tonight. Um, you know, how can you sell a whole bunch of tickets in, in a short period of time when our attention span is so fractured? Some of you are with us. Some of you are listening to the radio station. Some of you aren't even listening to content in this country. You're listening to content from elsewhere, which is, you know, it's, it's the consumer-driven business we're in. Um, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and rip. and that, that ship has sailed. We all know the universe has changed. Um, but it, it, it was a little dis, not, it was just, yeah, it's disappointing that that part of our lives has, has gone. I mean, God bless, you know, Glenn Campbell and, and, you know, all the work that he does over at, at CTV Calgary. Um, but when I came here 20 years ago, a, you know, City TV had a sports department, Global had a sports department, CBC had a sports department, uh, you know, everybody had a sports department. The newspapers had three or four reports. Those are the olden days. Those aren't the world we live in right now. It just isn't. And uh, it's amazing. This topic comes up everywhere. I think everybody notices it. Um, I also think it's cyclical. I think that um, local knowledge, local sports, local information, local news, local politics, that'll always have a place, even on these new platforms, even on a platform like this. Um, I, you know, yeah, we had Matt Larkin on today. We started off talking about the Flames, but we got into some other NHL things. But like to tie it back, uh, you know, a little bit of WrestleMania and a little bit about the sale of WWE. I get that, but mostly about the Calgary Flames, and we're going to continue that. Um, that's where we need to live. But it, it, it just strikes me as a moment we should stop and, and recognize the work um, the, the history, the, the, the legacy um, that sports television, you know, sports casts on our television, local news have had. And, you know, especially at, at Global and 2 and 7 with Sports at 11. I mean, again, dear, dear friend, Joe Sports was a huge part of that. Glenn, uh, pardon me, uh, um, Grant Pollock, huge, uh, you know, huge part of that. Eddie Whalen, part of that. Um, it's part of our fabric, it's part of our legacy, and I hope we never, ever lose sight of that. Having said that, I'd be remiss if I didn't tip my hat and point out a couple of guys who found their way back to the media, if you will, or found a way back to be heard. And that's Chevy and Nasty have a new podcast. They're going to be guests later on in the month on this program. They're going to come in and join me. But they've, they've gotten back to doing what they're doing in, in, in a void, in, in, a, in a space around the CFL and football where there doesn't seem to be enough talk and, and nobody seems to be taking it seriously and nobody seems to be doing enough about it, uh, it's a welcome return. So I encourage you to check them out. They're all over social media. Um, and as I say, they're going to join us later in the month. We'll have a chat with them. Um, but I just wanted to recognize, you know, somebody leaving and, and somebody coming in the business. It's, uh, and for those my age and maybe a little older, uh, the passing of Red Robinson this, uh, this past weekend, one of the... Voices from our youth on the West Coast and in Canada. Uh, 
you know, th- those always strike a little bit hard uh, when th- those, you know, what you feel like are the voices that are going to be around forever and, and the light goes out. So um, thoughts and prayers to his family uh, and to those who remember Red and, and his impact on the Canadian broadcast industry. All right, Hitman in action tonight. Flames in action tomorrow on Wednesday. We're back with you Wednesday. Peter Marr, our uh, Flames insider, uh, will join us as well. Grace Defoe and Alicia Rissling, uh, Olympians, are going to join us. And then on Thursday, J.D. Lewis, our UFC uh, insider, as well. We'll talk to Eric DeHatchuk. Thursday, not Friday, Thursday. Uh, thanks to Gavin, thanks to uh, Mark, and thanks to Jack, all of our producers today working on this program, and thanks to you. Appreciate it. We'll see you on Wednesday, everybody. When there's two sides to every coin Then there's a conversation you can join Okay, thanks, Gav. I'm an old dog and there's new tricks. And some of my opinions you just can't fix. Cause I'm an old man yelling at the sky. I'ma shake my fist at the clouds and cry. Get up my lawn, you snowflake. Before I have a meltdown, breakdown, shakedown. Cause this is my hometown, so back down. Sports clown, it's all just Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.